So it's great. Well, welcome to our meeting this morning. Uh, if you are joining us here in person at uh, 140 Clark Street, it's great to have you with us. And if you are uh, joining us online as well, it's super to have you with us as well. Super, I haven't used that word for a while. Um, <laughs> Uh, it's, great to, it's great to have you with us as well. And uh, you can watch all of our messages on our YouTube channel uh, if you have not caught up on them recently. And uh, now we even have our own Christ Central app. Hopefully some of you have seen that and some of you have downloaded it. It is amazing. Uh, you can get everything on one app. And uh, just, just go to christcentral.ca forward slash app. Um, or follow the link from our weekly email. You can find out all the updates. You can get push notifications. You can see all of our Twitter feeds and Instagram feeds and um, Facebook feeds all in one place. You can access all of our meetings. You can see what's coming up. It's amazing. It's the go-to place to find out what's happening with Christ Central. So do uh, take use of that, make use of that, and download our app. And uh, as I say, you can watch all of our messages on there as well. Someone actually messaged me at 7 a.m. this morning saying, from the UK saying, uh, I'm looking for your message for this week. Where is it yet? <laughs> like, I've just got out of bed, but it'll be on. Uh, so uh, hi, Fiona. Thanks for <laughs> tuning in uh, um, regularly. That's so good to have people from all over the world tuning into our meetings. All right. Well, we've been working through the book of Philippians over the last few weeks and months, and we're into chapter 3. Last week, Jody Ward preached a great message on uh, verse 1, Rejoice in the Lord. And it was excellent. You can catch that on the app if you want. And uh, she stops just short of the verses that I'm going to preach, look at today. When I read them, you'll see why. And uh, honestly, sometimes... Sometimes I think that all of our preaching schedules are primarily arranged so that I get to preach all the passages on circumcision. Just giving you a heads up. Just kidding. I actually did suggest that Jodie stick to the one verse. <laughs> and she did a great job on it. So uh, that will be good for you to catch up on the app. So let's get right into it. Um, we're going to read from verse 1 of chapter 3, and we're going to go right through to verse 4. And Paul says this. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence." All right, so when we get into verse 2, it's a bit of a shock for us because Paul, up until now, his tone has been kind and loving, he's expressed joy, he's happy, he's rejoicing, even though he's in prison, he's living in the grace of God, which has changed his life, um, he's got an understanding, we saw the other week, how he's got an understanding of God's grace and how that changes us, how it changes our main motivation in life changes our perspective, changes what we want to do. And so we get to verse 2, and it's been happy Paul up until now, and then now suddenly Paul switches tone, and he's like, watch out for the dogs, the evildoers, the mutilators of the flesh. I mean, whatever he's going on here, whoever he's thinking about, he clearly is getting quite riled up about it. 
So what's it all about? Well, Paul is talking about groups of people who have been trying to undermine what he is teaching about the grace of God in a number of different places. It comes up again and again where he's planted churches. These people have a different agenda. And Paul feels very strongly that there's a real danger that people are going to get led astray from the gospel of grace. You can see it in um, the book of Galatians. He's very, very strong on it. Let's call these people, for want of a better word, legalists. People who want to come up with their own rules, their own laws about how Christians should live their lives, especially those who say or imply that keeping those laws, keeping those rules is part of what makes you a Christian. Paul hates that, and he'll fight for the gospel of grace everywhere he goes. Now, Paul used to have a lot of experience in this himself anyway, because he used to be a legalist himself. He says it about himself in a few verses' time. He says, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were a bunch of legalists that Jesus had to deal with. They were the religious leaders of the day. They had a whole set of extra rules about how you live your life and how you please God which many of which weren't even in the Bible, in the, in the scriptures that they had at the time. And the Pharisees loved to talk about how they kept the rules, and they loved to look down on other people who didn't keep the rules. Now, you have to realize with the Pharisees, most people in the day didn't see them as the bad guys. Um, they were the religious leaders, like I said. They were doing the right thing, and they were respected by most of the people um, around at the time. But Jesus had some very strong words for them. It would have been shocking because they put heavy burdens on people which weren't in Scripture. And so Jesus called them hypocrites because he was saying, you're doing things on the outside, but your hearts aren't changed. And he called them serpents, and he called them blind guides, and he called them whitewashed tombs full of bones of dead people. Pretty strong words. So Paul is following Jesus' example here when it comes to legalists and name-calling. And he's calling them dogs. And he's not saying it in a nice way, thinking about dogs like pets, or like our golden retriever Lola. He's not thinking about Lola as he's calling them dogs. Um, he's thinking about wild dogs who roam around snarling at people and savaging them. Paul is incredibly strong about them. And he's strong about them because he hates the message that they bring. The Pharisees in Jesus' day told people they had to do a lot of things to please God. And to be honest, they weren't bad things to be doing. We have to realize this. Give to the poor, fast, pray, keep the Sabbath holy. But saying that that's what pleased God cut across the message of the gospel. The gospel that Paul kept saying everywhere he went, the gospel was we're all hopeless sinners. Only God can rescue us. And God has done everything that is needed through the perfect life of Jesus, who lived and then he took on the punishment for our sin as he died on the cross. And we, we can know forgiveness and we can know freedom and we can know freedom from guilt and shame and we don't deserve it. We certainly didn't earn it. But we can find these things through Christ and only through Christ. The only thing we can bring on our part is faith, believing that it's all Christ and that we can do nothing 
to earn salvation. And, and that's, in summary, that's Paul's gospel. And he proclaimed it everywhere. He spoke about how people can live a new life of worship by the power of the Spirit. He, he spoke about all that results of, out of that is in humility and, and joy. He talked about how it changes our desires and actions. But it's grace from first to last. Paul's message is a message from grace, right from the start, right through to the end of our lives. That's what he's saying. But the legalists, who Paul's saying, watch out for, they're saying, yeah, okay, we need Jesus, but you need circumcision as well. That's what he's saying. You need Jesus, but you need circumcision. It's Jesus plus. Jesus plus. But Paul knew that Jesus plus was really minus Jesus because it was taking away from everything that Jesus had already won for us. Now, the idea of circumcision did come from the Old Testament. It was all about being marked out as different, set apart for God, as God's people, God's special people. But Paul knew that all of that had been fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. So Paul says about the church, he says, we are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit and boast in Christ Jesus. He said, we've been set apart for God. We're marked, we're different, but it's, it's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. It's not an external thing. It's a heart thing. So we are the circumcision. You don't need the external sign anymore. It, it wasn't just circumcision. In the Old Testament, there was a temple where God dwelt. But now we don't need a temple because Jesus is our temple. And our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. That's where God lives now. We don't need the temple anymore. There is no temple anymore. In the Old Testament, there were priests whose job was to mediate between us and God, to be that intermediary, that person who spoke to God on our behalf. But after Jesus came, we don't need the priests anymore because Jesus is our high priest. And he says he's made us high priests as well because we can speak to God ourselves. We can come into God's presence. Jesus is our high priest and mediator. In the Old Testament, there was a system of animal sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. But after Jesus came, we don't need animal sacrifices anymore because Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And these legalists, they just didn't understand this. They hadn't accepted that Christ is enough. So they said, okay, believe in Jesus, but you still have to be circumcised. What they're really saying is Jesus isn't good enough. Jesus isn't good enough. We need to do something ourselves to make it right. We must contribute to our own salvation. That is the definition of legalism. We must contribute to our own salvation because it adds on to what Jesus has done and it ruins everything. And we end up having more and more things added on. Oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. We have to be careful that legalism doesn't come into our lives too. We can easily start to say, oh, Jesus died to you, for you, but, but you need to live a moral life for God to really love you. You need to try really hard and help people. You need to recycle, give money, feed the poor. Some people say you need to speak in tongues to be a Christian. You need to vote for a political party, a certain political party, 
to, to really be a, a true Christian. If you're a Christian, you need to wear certain types of clothing. You need to listen to certain types of music. There can be all sorts of different things that get added on. Jesus plus. It's wrong. It takes away from the gospel. None of those things contribute to salvation. None of those things make us a Christian. Now, Paul's going to go on in the coming verses, and he'll use himself as an example, and I'll let Joe speak about that uh, next week. Um, but I want to stay with this point, really, and try and figure it out, because it can get confusing, and, and so I want to unpack it some more with some other verses, and I want to give some practical examples, and I hope that will help. You see, some people can hear me say all that I've just said, and... I could add lots more things, you know, you've got to read the Bible, you've got to pray, you've got to come to church, the list is endless. And then they say, surely these are good things. Surely these are important things for Christians to do. Surely it's important that we read the Bible. Surely it's important that we pray. Surely it's important that we give to God's work. Surely it's important that we gather as a church together. And yes, lots of those things that I listed are really important and good things to do. What they are, they're called means of grace. Means of grace from God. They're the ways that God shows us his grace. So now we get to pray and we get to talk to God. And we couldn't do that before. We couldn't do it before. Now we get to hear God speak as we read his word. God speaks to us directly as we read his word. His Holy Spirit imparts it to us. I could go on and give examples of all of those things, that I, many of those things that I've said. But none of them will make God love us anymore. None of them will make God accept us anymore. But they're, they're good things to do. What the New Testament goes on to say in many places is the first thing that we have to do is realize that we don't have to keep all these rules and regulations to please God. But then once we've realized that, once we've understood grace, Actually, we end up doing a lot of those things anyway because we've had our hearts changed. We're motivated by the love of God. We're motivated by the love of other people. Grace means we don't only get to do these things. Actually, we start to want to do these things as well. We start to think, I want to consider others instead of myself. I, I don't want to put a stumbling block in other people's way. I'm going to do these things. And if you understand that, it can explain some pretty confusing things as we read the Bible. Let me look at one example about circumcision, funnily enough, because um, it's everywhere. <laughs> it, it was a big issue for people of the day. Let's look at Acts 15 and 16, and we're not going to read all of this. I'm just going to pick some verses out, but you can refer and look later if you like. In Acts 15... And verse 1 and 2, it says this, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. That's exactly what I've been talking about. That's what Paul's talking about in Philippians. You can't be saved. And this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders, that's Peter, James, others, about this question. So that's what they decided to do. It's a big issue. Okay, Paul and Barnabas are thinking, you know what? We really need to go. We need to talk to Peter. We need to talk to James. 
We need to talk to the apostles. We need to get it figured out so we're all on the same page. And that's what they do. And, the, and Acts 15 talks about how they go, and they have this discussion, and they come to the conclusion that Paul had all along that actually when the Gentiles get saved, because it's not an issue for Jews, they've already been circumcised, when the Gentiles get saved, they don't have to be circumcised. It's clear. So they go back home. And then we get to the next chapter, Acts chapter 16. And let's read the first four verses. It says this, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, whose father was a Greek, a Gentile. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Like, this is the next chapter. This is, the, this is almost the next thing that Paul does. He go, what, I mean, what's going on? He goes up, he, he's got it clear, you don't need to be circumcised. Fantastic, go back home. Timothy, do you want to come with me? Sure, let's get you circumcised. What? what? Why would he do that? I mean, it just blows your mind. I, Paul, have you, have you forgotten what, what the last few months have just been all about? Because he's just been saying you don't need to do it. Well, the reason behind it was they wanted, they did want people to make sure that they understood that there was no requirement to be circumcised. It's not Jesus plus. But they knew that taking Timothy along and him not being circumcised could be a stumbling block for people. It might even prevent people hearing the message in the first place. It might prevent them even hearing anything that they've got to say when they get to town. I don't know, maybe they had a lot of conversation in locker rooms. Whatever. They voluntarily chose to do that. And Paul explains it himself in another passage in 1 Corinthians. He explains something about his thinking. He says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not under the law, though I'm not free from God's law, I'm under Christ's law. To win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I've become all things to all people, so that by all means possible, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I might share in his blessings. Do you get what Paul's saying here? Paul's saying he doesn't have to do it. He doesn't have to do it. He'll defend the gospel of grace to anyone. He'll call his opponents dogs in the process. But then very often, he will personally choose to do the very things that people are forcing, trying to force him to do. He'll choose to do them so that he can win people to Christ. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want people telling him they have to. It's nothing to do with salvation. But under grace, I can choose to do them. And we see this principle at work in lots of places in the New Testament. As the Spirit of God works in us, we start to think about the good of other people more and more. Our hearts get changed. 
So sometimes we need encouragement and exhortation to think in this way, but it's still people's own choice. It's not law. Because if people feel that they've got no choice, they're back under the heavy burdens of legalism. So Paul addresses this type of thing again in Romans 13 and 14, and, and this is kind of where we're going to stay for the rest of this message. Romans 13 and 14, in regard to the church. So in Romans 13, again, we haven't got time to read it all, but let's look at the first verse. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that God, that God has established. So he's basically saying, you should obey the law. If the government tell you to do something, you need to do it. God's established the government. That's what Romans 13 is setting out. He's making it clear. Whether we agree with what the government are saying or not, we need to, to do it. But then in chapter 14, he goes on to talk about what he calls disputable matters. They are where one person thinks one thing and another person thinks something else. And both of them are in good conscience and both of them are in faith. But they're things that, that believers could end up getting into a dispute on, an argument about. They could end up arguing about, well, should you do this or shouldn't you do this? And that's what sometimes started to happen. The issues in Paul's day were things like about eating. He talks about it in Romans 14. Is it okay to eat anything or should you only eat vegetables? And whether one day is more special than another in terms of honoring them and doing special things. I mean, they were the big questions of the day. Maybe they're not such big questions for us today. Maybe they are, but, uh, but maybe not as much as they were in Paul's day. But they were the disputable matters of the day. We, we, we have our own set of disputable issues. You could probably think of lots of them. Um, should Christians drink alcohol is one. People have got different opinions on them. Okay? Should Christians celebrate Halloween? There are lots of others. There are strong opinions on both sides often. Often it's shaped by where you live or where you have lived in the past, where you originate from, your culture. They're disputable, they're disputable matters. The law doesn't say anything about it. If the law said something about it, we'd know where we've got to go. The law doesn't say anything about it. So, um, there are no real clear biblical commands about it. It doesn't affect the gospel. But Paul doesn't want Christians arguing about it. He doesn't want Christians arguing about these things and disrupting the unity of the church. So, what does Paul say to help us figure it out? He says this. I'm skip, there's a whole passage as he explains it. I'm summarizing. In verse 13, he says, stop passing judgment on one another. So he's saying, look, let's not start judging each other for the things that we're believing in good faith. In good conscience, one person's thinking you shouldn't drink alcohol. In good conscience, another one's thinking I'm free to drink alcohol. There's nothing in the Bible that says it. That's okay. Stop judging each other in the church. Don't judge each other about it. Don't treat those with different views of you with contempt. He says, God's going to judge us all. God's going to be the one who judges our hearts. Let him be the judge. Don't judge each other. That's the first thing he says. Secondly, again in verse 13, he summarizes it. Make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. So, if your freedom to drink alcohol or to celebrate Halloween or whatever you do if that causes other people to be distressed and you're just going, I'm going to do it anyway because I'm free to do it, and that could, be an, that could be an issue for someone. Actually, you're not always acting in love if you're just being so 
you know, in your face about it if you just disregard that, what they think. For Paul, the most important thing always is to make sure that we're at peace with each other in the body of the church and that we're edifying each other. And then he says a bit more, and then in verse 22, he says, so whatever you believe about these things, keep them between yourself and God. So you might have an opinion about it, but don't go around telling everyone about it. Keep it between yourself and God. You don't have to go around to someone's house and, and, and confront them and tell them about it. Or maybe these days, you don't have to put it on social media. The love of God that we have and our love for each other will mean that the grace that we've received from God doesn't mean that we'll just do whatever we please. We won't always just choose to do whatever we please. Instead, we're thinking about each other. We're thinking about doing what leads to unity and mutual encouragement. So, as we close, I'm going to use these passages and principles and just help us put some flesh on it for a case study. And this is a hot topic that we might have today. In fact, it is a hot topic today. We're going to apply it to our gatherings today, and I'm going to help you just see how we've figured this out and what we're saying about it. So, this is the question. This is the disputable matter. Should we say that everyone has to wear a mask throughout our meetings in this era of COVID-19? There you go. You will know if you've been on social media, so many comments on this, so many opinions on this. The question is, how does the Bible help us? Because we want to think biblically. So, Romans 13 do what the government tells you to do. What are the government saying? Well, currently in New Brunswick, currently, the government is saying you have to wear a mask as long as your health situation allows you to. If you're in a public building and you can't maintain physical distancing of two meters, that's what the government is saying to do. Obviously, if you're watching this from somewhere else, your government may be telling you something different. So I'm just gonna apply it to here, now, New Brunswick, and this is, and it may be different next week. <laughs> Probably will be. <laughs> so, this is where we're at now, as I speak. So, currently, according to New Brunswick law, we don't legally have to wear a mask in our meetings. If it changes, we need to obey what the government's saying. So, it's not a law of the land. It's not part of the gospel. Gospel doesn't say that. Bible doesn't say we have to do that. It's a disputable matter. All right, there's lots of research going on, lots of articles being written, ideas are changing. Right now, there's not a clear consensus. Everyone's got their own thoughts on the matter. So the next question is, should we, as a church leadership, come up with our rule to say, our own rule to say, you need to wear a mask? Listen, there might be some really good reasons for us to say that. Because it, it might well bring added protection from the virus. It may well do. We don't know. We might be decide to say that just because we're erring on the side of caution, and we're going to think we're, gonna, we're just going to be cautious and we're going to be, be clear. There's also the danger of it being seen as legalism. I'm not saying it is, but there's the danger of it being seen as legalism. Jesus plus. This is what you've got to do to worship with us together as a church. You have to do this. Now, of course, we wouldn't be saying you have to wear a mask to be a Christian. So it's, you know, it's, it's a little gray. I'm not saying it's clear cut, but it's a little gray. 
but we would be adding an extra rule in that the government aren't saying right now. And as people, we tend to like to default to rules. We tend to like to know what are we allowed to do. That's not what the gospel teaches us. But that's what we still tend to default to. We're trying to encourage people generally out of that way of thinking. So we haven't made the decision. We've talked about it. We've talked about it a lot. We, we haven't made that decision to say you have to wear a mask throughout the meeting as you come in. So what does that mean? Does that mean we're saying the opposite? Does that mean we're saying don't bother wearing a mask? You don't need to. Forget it. Leave your mask at home. We're trusting in God. No, we're encouraging everyone to apply the principles in Romans 14. And you can come to your own conclusions where you feel you're acting in integrity before God. So let's remind ourselves what the principles are. Principle number one, don't judge others for the decisions that they make. We're not the judge of other people in the church on this. We should trust that other people are making the decisions that they're making in good conscience, and it's between them and God. And we're not to judge, so we're not to comment on it, who is or who isn't wearing a mask. Secondly, consider others in the freedom that you have. Think of other people before yourself. If you know that something's going to be a stumbling block for someone in terms of their freedom to worship God, then with the freedom that you have not to wear a mask, you can make some decisions which won't cause them problems and have them in mind. And you might decide you're going to anyway. And you might not, because it's between you and God. And thirdly, keep whatever you believe between yourself and God. There's not much else to say on that. Okay, so in the hope that it's helpful, I'm going to now make it even more specific, and I'm going to explain some of my personal reasons, and this is just me. So the, the danger of this is everyone says, well, Mark's saying this, and this is what we've got to do. No, 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 that's a, that's a rule, that's a law, that's not what we're doing. I'm explaining to you how I've applied this myself, and why I sometimes, well, not sometimes, why I wear this welder shield <laughs> during meetings. Um, and, and to sing. Because, because sometimes, I know people even find this strange. People have said to me, I was talking to you yesterday and you weren't wearing this and now you are and I just feel a little weird. I mean, the whole COVID situation is a little weird, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so, I'm choosing to wear that shield during meetings when I'm not leading worship and when I'm not, I'm not wearing it now, obviously, when I'm not preaching for a number of reasons. This is my thinking. I'm aware that there's some concern about increased risks when large numbers of people gather together in our building. The building's not overly well ventilated. I know some people in our congregation are really concerned about that. And I want to put them at ease so that they can focus on worshiping God. I don't want them to be thinking, I'm really worried about how many people are not wearing masks. So that, I'm just thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear that. Now, I'm, it's not a face mask like many people wear. I know it's a shield. And, and the reason I have decided on that it's partly because I'm wanting to be able to communicate with people. I often just stand at a distance and talk with people. And I'm aware some people actually have got hearing problems. They rely on lip reading. It's very hard to lip read when you, um, someone's wearing a mask. So that's one of the reasons that I um, am doing that. I also don't want people to look at me as a leader or a pastor and think that I don't care about them. Not because I particularly care about what people think of me. I wouldn't be a pastor if I um, thought that. Um, but because I don't want it to get in the way of me being able to pastor people and lead them. 
because that's the role that God's given me to do. And if my actions cause a stumbling block for people so that they won't listen to me in the first place, I can't pastor them. And then people are ultimately going to be in a worse place. And to be honest, I'm thankful it's only about wearing a mask and not getting circumcised. (laughs) Joe has taken a similar decision, but you'd have to ask him for the detailed reasons behind it. I'm I'm not saying that absolutely identical. He's made a similar decision. But neither Joe or I have made a law of of it. We haven't told our other elders what to do. We haven't told our families what to do. We haven't come up with a law or a rule for the church about what to do. But we're encouraging everyone to think biblically and act biblically. And, and not just on this issue. Okay, I hope that makes sense. I hope it helps us explain things. I mean, it's far easier to have rules and laws to obey. But God has set us free from that. And he's brought us into freedom in Christ. So I guess some people might just say, well, look, Mark, you're really saying we have to do it. But you're just saying it in a roundabout way. Listen, let me be clear. I'm not. There is freedom and grace in Jesus. There is no condemnation. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to serve in the church. You don't have to give to the church. You don't have to dress in a certain way. You can drink alcohol if the law and your conscience allow. You can celebrate Halloween if your faith and your conscience allow. And you will be loved and accepted by God as much as anyone else, and you can worship here with us and be part of the family of God because that is the grace of God displayed for us in Christ Jesus. All right. I'm going to pray, and we're going to finish, and we'll get the worship band back up. There's a lot in there. Sorry if I have made your head spin. You can read the passages in more detail at home. You can listen listen to the message again if you want via our new app. Did you know we have a new app? (laughs) I'm going to pray that God speaks to us. Worship band can come. I'm going to pray that God speaks to us and helps us as we go forward as one body in love and unity to worship and serve our Lord Jesus Christ who has poured his love out and his grace on us in such abundance. And then we're going to finish by worshipping our wonderful God together. So I'm going to stand to the side so Grace can set up. All right, let's stand together, shall we? Father God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that we are no longer under the heavy burdens of legalism. We thank you. All we need to do to come to you, to love you, is to recognize we could do nothing. You did everything. You died on the cross for us. You forgave our sin. You've given us freedom in Christ. You've imparted your love to us by our whole, your Holy Spirit. Lord, we, we can respond to so many things in grace and freedom and full of power of the Spirit. Help us, Lord, I pray, to navigate these difficult times. They're difficult times. Lord, above all else, help us to maintain unity as a church. Help us to love each other, to consider each other, to prefer each other in so many different ways. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for all you've shown to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.